Welcome to Beginner Women, a podcast where we throw out our adult agendas and focus on what it takes to shape a new future for girls and young women. From education and career to health and wealth, we talk to experts, thought leaders, and extraordinary women who will challenge the way you think about girls, women, and ambition. Here's your host, Katherine Cornfield. Welcome to Beginner Women. I'm Katherine Cornfield, founder of Ambitious, and that's Ambitious with a She, where we take a unique approach to leadership and career development. We've helped hundreds of girls and young women to develop autonomy, agency, and purpose by equipping them with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. We started this podcast because we know how important everyday role models are, and we want to empower you, parents, educators, and other caring adults with smart, actionable strategies to help the beginner women in your lives reach their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are joined by Susan Richards. Susan describes herself as equal parts accountant and entrepreneur. This is true. She is co-founder and managing partner of Number Crunch, a company that exists to provide small and medium enterprises with robust but affordable financial and accounting support services. Susan's career spans 20 years in the Ottawa tech sector, and she has been CFO in either a part-time or full-time capacity to over 30 companies. So Susan has a fair bit of knowledge on the financial side and lots of experience in the tech sector. So Susan, we're going to actually start. This is a podcast about the leadership and career development of girls and young women. So we have to sort of start with the high level, the milestones. Tell us a bit about your path. Wonderful. It's a pleasure to be here to start with. Um, Thank you for the invitation. And I just had a birthday on Monday, actually. I turned 47 and I like to say I'm 47 and just getting started. So there's definitely a number of chapters to come. Who knows what they will be. But so far, I'd say I've had, uh, I don't know, probably five chapters. They started when I was young. I took dancing lessons and was one of those lemonade stand kids and had some businesses. Uh, so I had a dance studio and then I had a car care business, all those things before high school, uh, before high school ended, I should say. So I've had that entrepreneurial side. And then in university, I took accounting. And so for the next 10 years or so, accounting was my focus. And I wasn't really doing entrepreneurial things. And then I, in 2012, co-founded Giveopoly, which was an online marketplace. And that's when I started doing part-time CFO work. So part-time accounting, essentially, plus Giveopoly. So both the accounting and entrepreneurship kind of came together in 2012. And I sold Giveopoly last year, myself and my business partner. So now we have just number crunch as far as companies go, and it is an accounting support services company. So again, that accounting entrepreneur is is wrapped up together. But I'd say right now I'm in a phase where I'm growing the business and I'm doing community work. So I co-chair the Invest Ottawa board of directors. I sit on the Canada North Business Association board as well. So doing my part to try to help influence and do what I can for the business community here in the Ottawa region. I know. And we're going to talk about that stuff later. I'm looking forward to digging into that. Before I do, though, if I'm not mistaken, your parents ran a business as well. And so I'm wondering if you can maybe speak a little bit to the influence that that had early on, because I'm gathering from chapter one anyway, that you 
really jumped right in compared to some others into sort of that business mentality very early on. And I'm wondering if that influenced your choice to move into accounting. I'm sure it did, especially I think I've got that um, opinion formed from hearing other people share their experiences as well. So when I was three years old, my parents moved from Connecticut to Prince Edward Island. And prior to that, my father was a social worker with the state in Connecticut. And when they moved to PEI, um, so the thing about moving to PEI is you are from away. My dad was American, so he would not necessarily have employment opportunities in the province because that's just sort of the way that culturally it works there, or it did back then. And so he saw his opportunity was going to be through entrepreneurship, and he started to research different chains that he could open that could contribute to the local economy. And he landed on a Stedman's department store. Ah, yes. And so he and my mom, and that's like a, you know, Walmart or Kmart for small town, essentially. I am familiar with the Stedman's, yes. <laughs> it's a great store. It is. And so it was um, like we had in the community, we had uh, a fishing community and there were two fish plants. So people would drive to our community, which was Surrey PEI, from neighboring areas and they would work and they would uh, then spend money buying household items at the family store. So I grew up with that. I, I can recall working in the store, especially at Christmas time to earn money to buy Christmas gifts for my friends and stuff. And then my mom kind of took over the store and then my dad opened a restaurant and then he opened a second restaurant. So he had that bug. He just had this attitude. He was a really can-do. He still is. My dad's alive. I'm lucky. But he has a real can-do kind of attitude about things. And I think part of me is like got his DNA from that, but also just seeing firsthand the business experience of starting businesses. I guess I didn't think of it, of it as a, a big hurdle. It was just if an opportunity was there, I would just act and I just worked around obstacles. And so I think that was a big influence for me. And they say, if you can see her, you can be her. So seeing both my parents in the business just made it feel very natural for me. It seems like it might have been the kind of environment, too, where talk about money wasn't really necessarily taboo. If you're in the midst of running not just one, but growing into two and three businesses, Clearly, the talk was not necessarily, oh, we're not going to discuss what we're earning. We're, we're going to leave money to the side. You, you must have gained a lot of financial literacy just by osmosis almost. Well, funnily enough, you would think that I did, but I don't really think that I had that much of it there. So what I, I did get paid for working, I'm sure that it was lower than minimum wage, but there was a number that my mother would pay me. She would track my hours and I would get paid at the same time that other employees got paid. Maybe not all the time, but certainly during like the holiday season when they would hire extra workers, I was on payroll. So through that, I would have gained intelligence around money and what I could buy with my money and that sort of thing. And you were tracking your own as well? Tracking your income? Um, well, I suppose just to the extent that I... So one, one thing of being in a family-run department store is that all of my clothes came from that department store. So my friends would have things from other stores and I would want them. I remember this denim skirt that I wanted, an Akita denim skirt, and I think it was $40. <laughs> so that was the kind of thing for me. It was saving up enough money so that I could buy that Akita skirt because I wasn't going to ask my parents to buy it because my clothes came from the store that we had. So there was sort of some education, I guess, through that. As far as other things, over the years, so in my 20s, I took on more of an interest in asking 
questions about how did they do what they did? Like they had this big, beautiful building and I started to inquire as to how they managed to get this building and, and found out about creative things my father did in the early days in order to basically take over a building that was vacant and have a revenue share agreement in place with the owner that allowed him to eventually buy the building and things like that I learned at a later age. So, But as a child, we didn't talk too much about financial literacy. Interesting. But your curiosity was sparked as you entered into your 20s after high school and into post-secondary where you're sort of curious. How did they do that? For sure. And also, you know, just necessity is the mother of invention. So things like trying to figure out, well, how many dance classes would I need to run on Saturday in order to have enough money plus my waitressing job to cover certain, you know, usually lifestyle things that I wanted. I went to university in Charlottetown. Um, so I had rent to pay. So just managing through those expenses, I had student loans, so that would cover a certain amount of things. And then I needed to be able to have enough money to cover things. I probably had a, a loose budget. I was that type of kid that liked to write things down, get things organized and make lists. So I probably would do that. But I'm also the kid that sets the list to the side of Magenta. So <laughs> right. I'm on the budget and then I'm like, oh. Sometimes not paying attention to it in, in the moment. I, too, am a Gemini. I can appreciate that. <laughs> Fast forward to number crunch, which is not dissimilar from what you've just described, where you're applying those sort of financial skills, but for clients. So just describe a little bit about what number crunch does, who their clients are, and how you support the companies that you work with. I'd love the opportunity to do that. So what we're doing is essentially providing a a more powerful alternative to hiring strategic elements of staff. So we're positioned for the tech sector and and the technology sector, generally you need more sophisticated financial guidance you might need to get certain loans right out of the gate. And so tapping into financial expertise, CFO expertise, CFO stands for Chief Financial Officer. Generally, we're people who are designated accountants who have years of experience working in a variety of businesses so that we can provide quick guidance and strategy and advice to owners. So what we do here at Number Crunch is provide access to higher levels of expertise for the price that businesses would typically pay for a full-time hire. So instead of hiring a bookkeeper, they can have the benefit of more senior expertise in a team-based solution. And we formed because I had been helping some businesses and realized that I could help more businesses if I had a team of support allowing us to do that. So that's what we do here. We are helping businesses set their financial targets, figure out their budgets for the year, and then tracking their progress against it. So ensuring that all of their business transactions are tracked in a really uh, efficient way to see how they're doing against their plans and then giving advice if they start to fall off track from where their plan is. I see. So that actually, the reason I asked, of course, is because that gives you a view inside a whole bunch of businesses. And it gives you a lens, I think, on women in technology and women in business. And so I know that you share a commitment to the economic empowerment of women and getting them more 
financially literate and so on. But I'm wondering if you can sort of share from your perspective what you've learned from your work in Number Crunch about women and business. Absolutely. I'm I'm still learning, but so far where I'm I've gotten to is that there are differences. So we're all different and there's some generalities. Um, so statistically more businesses are owned by men than women. The businesses that do exist today, the businesses owned by men employ more people than the female owned businesses. And so what I'm trying to dive into is the reasons for that. And I'm still exploring that. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it's a number of reasons. So women, to a degree, still have more responsibilities at home. That's all changing as the generations evolve and life is shared and balanced more. But lifestyle can influence the amount of ambition about career that somebody might have at a certain time in their life than somebody else. So there's a bunch of these nuances. I think in general, women tend to... I don't want to say have less confidence, but that's how it comes across that men appear more confident than women. And when it comes to the topic of financial literacy, women assess themselves to be less financial literate than a man will assess himself. But ultimately, both men and women generally think their financial literacy is a little is lacking. So often what I'm saying to women is, to let them know that they are at the level of the benchmark, that the information that they should learn is not that complicated to learn. So just more encouraging them to lean in more and not be afraid of and not to scoot away from certain discoveries. Like if you're concerned you're not going to get a bank loan, you may not approach the bank for a bank loan. If you don't approach the bank for a bank loan, you're not going to have the working capital necessary to perhaps advance your business as fast as somebody who would approach the bank. So it has that systemic kind of influence on on people's confidence in order to move their businesses forward. So I would say it's those soft things that I see differences in. Interesting. So basically, if you sort of cut across the swath of um, your clients or a larger population, that, that generally the financial literacy levels are more or less the same. But there's maybe more encouragement required for the women to really acknowledge they already have some of the skills they need and that learning them isn't necessarily as big a stretch as they might think. Or taking the steps to access capital, as you say, might not be as much of a stretch as they think. But you've taken some interesting initiatives to better equip female entrepreneurs with these skills. And I'm thinking in particular of some uh, workshops that you've developed. So can you describe a little bit what inspired you to take that on and, and what that entailed? Yes. So I, I think you're talking about the financial literacy for female founders that I did yeah. uh, a year ago. And that was inspired by International Women's Week. I, I saw a lot of activity on social media regarding that particular week. And there was so much activity going on. And I just thought to myself, what can I do? Everything that I had read had said that the reason women were not starting and scaling businesses uh, similarly to their male counterparts was due to financial literacy, due to uh, the number side of things. So I thought, well, that's what I can convey to people. I can teach them that piece and I can at least remind them that you know more than you think you do. The banks, the Scotia banks, you're richer than you think. Well, you're, you're smarter than you think. So I created, um, I just impulsively decided to put something out there, see if people would sign up and they did. Uh, admittedly, I think I had a really diverse the thing is women are, of course, diverse and the number types of businesses they have are, are diverse and the, the maturity of those businesses is diverse. So perhaps 
I could have done a better job sifting and sorting the attendees to make sure that I had really relevant information for them. But I did try to at least provide a generic view to things like what would happen, like why you should go to a bank to get a loan, when you should, when you shouldn't, what information you'll need to provide, what you should look for, what you should expect, these kinds of things, just so that people have a, a better sense of, of what they should expect in those unknown circumstances. The other thing I focused on was business models. So I spent a lot of time, I think, in terms of business models. I guess I've learned over the long time that not too many people are thinking about business models as much as I am. And the type of business that you start from a business model standpoint really informs how you're going to fund it. So if you have a service-based business model, your customers may be able to pay for all of your costs of your business. You may not need to get any loans. If you're creating a product company, then you are going to need cash in order to build that product before you're going to start generating revenues from your customers. So there's a variety of things to think about there that I tried to help walk through because it doesn't seem to be a very common conversation uh, when somebody's forming an idea about a business or what they might be struggling with their business it might be a structural thing to the, the model of it itself. So I hope that helps. <laughs> oh, it totally does. And it, in fact, it's funny because um, what you've just described is in fact, you know, and we're here talking on beginner women about girls and young women, that is in fact exactly some of the content that we are providing in our startup self sessions for girls grade seven and up because Again, the idea that they are at the benchmark, they are not behind, especially in the seventh grade, and they are just as powerful and promising as, as the next guy. Yes. Um, there's no reason why they can't be made aware as early as possible about um, some of those higher level concepts, about the business model in particular, about what capital even means, let alone how to access it and why you would need it in the first place. So it's really interesting that it's almost like bookends. We're doing it with really young girls and increasingly with young women, frankly, in post-secondary and in transition into their early career. And you're doing it with entrepreneurs themselves. And I'm wondering maybe if you can reflect or, or share with us where else or who else might be able to influence girls and young women to think about these issues and to seek out with curiosity the knowledge, even if they're not going to study it in school, if they're not going to go into accounting per se like you did. But at Ambitious, we sort of feel that this is an important skill set and knowledge base to have for just about anything. Um, and it does seem that it's kind of missing. So I'm wondering where you think it should be inserted and what advice you might have for parents and teachers and other caring adults who influence young women and who really can impact their path. Right. I think we need to have more spotlight on women entrepreneurs and their stories. I think that will resonate. I think it'll pick up on the natural curiosity. Like when you see somebody you like a product and then you find out, oh, this is the individual who created that product and look at their story. A lot of entrepreneurs are really interesting individuals, not all entrepreneurs, but a lot of them do have really interesting characteristics about their personalities that I think have an ability to attract interest. And I think we as a you know society have to do a better job of putting spotlights on those individuals. But because of the internet today, you actually can go and do that work a little bit yourself too. So even by searching on famous women entrepreneurs, things like this, these lists that are out there, and of course, young people are all very social. 
they can probably pretty easily find interesting people. I think when I was young, my dad told me to go and ask our lawyer what it's like to be a lawyer and ask our accountant what it's like to be an accountant. He had an expectation that I would go through all the professionals that were in the town and ask them questions. I didn't even know what to ask. But I think if I had been steered towards being able to watch these individuals in a panel where they're in a lot of stuff, you know, your podcast is an example. This is great consumption for people to be able to be inspired to listen to more experiences where they'll say, oh, that sounds like me. Um, Like some of those girls will have had the idea to do a lemonade stand and may have taken their treats from Costco and started selling them at school and had these little nuggets of interest that surfaced up that when they find out that there are other people that had those ideas, there may be a connection there and that can help really fertilize a seed. Like I think our access to the internet now can be really helpful probably in helping to inspire. Yeah, no, I I think that makes sense. So basically encouraging parents and other adults to broaden their lens and encourage their daughters, nieces, and neighbors to really go outside of the classroom almost to look at what's around in the world and to start to see and experience all kinds of alternatives to whatever the subject area is that you get the best grade in, right? So really looking at the real real world to see what 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 sort of scene is most attractive and what place you might be able to explore your creativity or your passions or your values and turn them into action. Exactly. I think that there's there's so many paths for us. I, I believe that I've heard that there's something like five careers that people typically have in a lifetime now. Well, you're only on chapter five. You you have a few more to go, so it could be it could be more. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Well, that you know, I I love that. I love being inspired by people's stories that didn't know that they uh, had a particular skill or an affinity in a particular area until they had a life experience, and the next thing you know, there they are. And I know with my oldest son now is in grade 11 and trying this summer, he has a goal to figure out what he wants to be when he grows up. And I think it often probably will best be served by following what you feel you're good at. And from an entrepreneurship standpoint, because he sometimes has an interest in starting a business, I think you're well served by actually having more life experience. Once again, necessity is a mother of invention. So if you're in a situation and you realize, I have an idea to make this better, there's an entrepreneurial idea. But we often have to be in a situation experiencing it before we have that idea for something better. So I say, if you don't know what you want to do, go with accounting because um, that foundation will serve you in any organization. But other than that, if you had ideas for areas that you just had interest in, then I say, you know, lean towards those and apply ambition and then entrepreneurial opportunities will present them to you along the way. That's right. That uh, you may or may not want to jump on, but uh, that's what I would encourage. Well, there you go. That's very helpful, I think, to our listeners to hear from you. I'm going to circle back, I think, because you said that every organization needs an accountant, and that is true, mm-hmm. or at least an accounting service. You are currently co-chair at Invest Ottawa, which is the city's sort of driving force for economic development. You sit on the board of directors there, as well as the Canada North Business Association, I think you said. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're a really strong proponent for diversity and inclusion, and that you have been working very diligently behind the scenes there for the last number of years to bring about really important change 
and that your leadership is actually starting to show some results. I know that this year, a few months ago, you released or the Invest Ottawa released a new guideline around gender and diversity. And I was wondering if you could spend just a little bit of time talking about what that guideline is for and how it has impacted, even in the short time that it's been sort of on the table for discussion, how it's impacted the organization. Absolutely. I love the opportunity. There's two things at play. One, there are less businesses owned by women than than men. And the second is in the technology sector. So the knowledge-based industries, which is our second biggest industry here to government in Ottawa, there's a big gap there as far as gender equity, gender at the boardroom table, at the executive table. In STEM itself, there are much fewer women than men. So in all of the areas that Invest Ottawa is providing service to, there's a disparity between the genders. And so I recognize that now is the time to attempt to address this because it hasn't changed. I became aware of the fact that statistically on tech boards, for example, that there hadn't been a change in the representation in 30 years. So I was interested in looking into this further. It's beyond my training and expertise. So what we did, we pulled together a small team within Invest Ottawa and then cascaded invitations out to individuals who have been working on this issue for 30, 40 years that are very passionate or very knowledgeable on systemic barriers and um, issues that exist that have prevented that forward movement. So it started with a conversation, which led to more conversations, which led to an informal gathering. We didn't really have a name for ourselves, which led to a need to have a creation to create these guidelines because we needed to know, well, what is it we're trying to do? What are we intending to do for the organization? How are we going to communicate this? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to it? So we crafted the guidelines. The board did accept those. They essentially became policy to the board. And then through that process, we decided that that informal group needed to be formalized into a subcommittee, which has happened as well. So a year and a bit later, we have a formal subcommittee to the board on the area of gender diversity and inclusion. We have the guidelines that were being held to, which include things like we had a target to be at gender parity by 2021. And I'm pleased to say that this year in May, we actually reached gender parity. So we've achieved that particular area of improvement for sure. But within the ecosystem, we are still peeling back the layers and building out service programs to meet women at where they're at so that we continue to help them start and grow and reach their full potential in their business so that ideally what we end up with is equal number of small and medium-sized enterprises. We have women accessing capital at the same rates as men and performing alongside. And it makes good business sense because today the knowledge-based industry is creating such change. Like it has what we are using today in smartphones, in artificial intelligence, in vehicle automation, all of these things that are happening are leaps and bounds more advanced and innovative than where we were 10, 20 years ago. And if we don't have half of the population at those tables informing those products, building those businesses, then I'm concerned for what the end result may be. It just doesn't make sense to not have equal representation in the business ecosystem and especially the knowledge 
based economy that is really changing the way the world communicates, interacts. We need to make sure that we have strong representation across not just the genders, but also the intersections within gender and to increase our representation of a full diversity. So we have big job to do and we're working hard. You're completely singing my song, as you know, and uh, the leadership that you've shown with this work and really becoming a leading voice around these issues in the city has been very, very valuable. So thank you for that. And I really do hope that the, the conversation and the conversations continue to broaden. And I wonder, given your position, and I should say to full, uh, full disclosure that Susan is also on the advisory board for Ambitious, but do you ever see a time where the futures of middle school or high school girls will be talked about in terms of workforce development, access to some of the fields where they are underrepresented, or even encouraging their progress towards positions of leadership. Would that be ever talked about at the kind of tables that you're sitting around at Invest Ottawa or Canada North Business Association? Absolutely. It, all, it, it always does come up. Um, so th- there are so many intersections and the job is so big, we have to continue to build the pipeline. So we do recognize that getting information in front of women at younger and younger ages is important to being able to change. So for instance, the representation of women in STEM, it's not just something where they're not being promoted, it's they're not going into a STEM field and not graduating from the programs. And so Therefore, we're not even filling the pipeline. So we need to get more women interested in STEM. And I think women need, I've met some amazing women, by the way, since I started leaning in in this area, I'm meeting a number of rock star women that are, would serve as great inspiration for young women to see themselves and see the potential. So that I think needs to happen as well. And I think once you're invited, diversity goes hand in hand with inclusion and Having the ability to register for things and participate in things is one thing, but making sure that that environment then is accommodating and welcoming to all is is equally important. So there's there is definitely much work to be done. I think at some point the dream is that we never have to talk about gender because of course gender is intersectional now too. I feel you know almost out of date even talking about things in terms of women. But, you know, what I've learned is statistically, if we can address this, then we will pull along all forms of diversity, even within the gender. And we don't want to be just binary on that. So everybody will benefit. But we have to definitely make influence on younger ages. And and I see the importance of, again, I am a big proponent for accounting, but also science and math in general for girls get in there. So the opportunities are going to be huge. It's going to be, for anybody ambitious, there's going to be huge, huge opportunities because people are recognized, they will be recognizing the importance of it. There's silly things going on in the world where, you know, crash test dummies are being tested with only half the population. Women's bodies are not used in the testing. I had a client that was creating video games for women and they had no women that were designing developing, testing, or even in focus groups. So that is not going to create the most successful outcome. The whole world is going to awaken to the reality of the gap, and it's going to create huge opportunity for women. And I think young girls are in a real advantage right now to be able to benefit from that. 
Well, I think that that's exactly the kind of thing that the parents and educators who listen to beginner women are going to be very encouraged to hear that that it's not just lip service, that organizations like Invest Ottawa are taking very seriously that pathway for girls and young women and helping to support them along the way, not just in terms of their subject area pursuits, but also through some of the initiatives around financial literacy. And these objectives are shared, obviously, by Ambitious and by me and the work that we're doing. And so I'm very, very happy to have had the opportunity to talk to you and to hear from you sort of that behind-the-scenes view. And thank you so much for sharing so much about your career and about your background and your influences uh, in business and some of what you've learned in serving uh, the businesses that you do. Is there anything else that you want to sort of pop in or that we've missed that you want to add as we start to wrap up here? Well, I really want to thank you for this opportunity. I think this is great what you're doing, and I uh, really am appreciative of your contribution to the community and to the potential for young women. And and this is really, I want to just thank you for that and thank you to the people that are tuning in and encourage them to share with their friends to get more listeners because this is where the value comes in, in the conversations because they... We, what we talk about, we think about, then we turn to beliefs and those turn to inspired actions. And it's going to take all of us to make the, the great changes that are required. Absolutely agreed. Well, thank you very much again for all of your support with Ambitious, for joining us on Beginner Women. My pleasure. And for the work that you do. And uh, yeah, we will be seeing you out there, I hope, at all the conversations that will continue here in Ottawa and beyond. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Ambitious is a social purpose venture taking direct aim at the gender gap in leadership by providing leading edge training programs focused on the economic empowerment, leadership development, and career advancement of girls and young women. We are currently developing a network of like-minded partner organizations to deliver our proprietary startup self-sessions, which combine financial, digital, and civic literacy in a simulated entrepreneurial experience. Suitable for girls and young women aged 13 and up, the Startup Self Sessions are empowering a new generation of beginner women to become whoever and whatever they want to be. Qualified delivery partners are provided comprehensive training, licensed curriculum, a full suite of program materials, and access to an online community of practice. Focused on real-life learning, ambitious programs are equipping a new generation of entrepreneurs, leaders, and decision-makers with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. If you are a like-minded organization interested in joining our next cohort of delivery partners, let's talk. Visit ambitious.ca for more information and to get in touch. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on Beginner Women, a show where we throw out our adult agendas to shape a new future for girls. Check out our show notes for the resources we talked about in today's episode and for the actionable insights you can use to nurture and empower the girls you know. If you like what you hear on our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your favorite shows. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Ambitious. That's A-M-B-I-S-H-E-O-U-S. 